I want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Congratulate you on your, your church gives and goes all around the world, literally, in doing mission work and here and around the world. And honestly, uh, my organization, our, your Seminole Baptist Association that I have the privilege of directing, we're thankful for your gifts as well. Uh, now, I want to say a special thank you to my friend, Pastor Jeff Dixon, who is the pastor of the church at 434, just up the road from us in Winter Springs. He helped me greatly on a video presentation I'll have for you just a little bit later. But the title for today is Fulfilling Your Destiny, Failures Included. Fulfilling Your Destiny, Failures Included. And the subject of our study today is going to be the Hebrew strongman, Samson. I'm sure some of you have heard of Samson. He indeed was extraordinary and special in so many ways. I was asked to, uh, if I would consider being the stunt double for the latest Samson movie. But I told him I couldn't do that because I had to prepare a message on Samson for Cross Life. Now, if you believe that, I've got some uh, hilltop property to sell you down in the Everglades. Um, this guy, Samson, was unusual and yet maybe not so unusual when we look at the whole picture. He was flawed but skilled. He was focused yet sidetracked. He was fallible yet strategic. He was favored and still slandered, kind of like some other leaders that God chooses to use. But when we, when we look at Samson, how do we evaluate his life? We can, we can look at the, these four chapters here, and we'll look at part of it as we, as we do. How do we evaluate that? Let me tell you this, and please understand this as you, as you read the Scriptures, as you study them daily. The best commentary on the Bible is another part of the Bible. Major on reading what God said about what God said before you read about what man said about God said. So what did God say about Samson in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11, in the Hall of Faith, in the, in the Hall of Fame? He said this, as he listed off the heroes, the men and women of God who had been people of faith, he begins to conclude the chapter by saying, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, which is the key for all of us, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the enemies. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith. So Samson indeed, failures included, was a man of faith. Now there are many teachings and doctrines that, that, that come forth in, in this passage. Uh, prayer, patience, persecution, failures, second chances, and more of the like. But there's great doctrines that are here. The providence of God, prophecy sanctification, the Holy Spirit's power, judgment, corrective chastening, deliverance, and the greatest one of all, the greatest is God's deliverance for his people, foreshadowing the ultimate deliverance that comes from Christ. Because not only is this a real story, it pictures the real story of the Bible. Now, I want you to notice with me a servant's call. And my outline today that you'll see and that you have uh, to fill in the blanks there, is, is really applicable. In other words, it's, it goes right to our heart. 
a servant's call. Look, look with me in Judges chapter 13, verse 6 and 7. An angel has appeared to uh, the woman that's going to be Samson's mother, and she comes to relay the message to her husband, Manoah. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Now Manoah, the husband here, he really didn't believe her. And so unusually, they asked something. And unusually, they received an answer. They asked for the angel to come visit them again. And indeed, he did. Now Samson is a man with a special call on his life. But all true believers have a call from God about some certain things. And I, on the authority of God's Word, I can tell you today that all of us have these certain things. And first of all is to love the Lord, to love the Lord. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said in Mark 12, 30, he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And second in our call from God is to serve the Lord, to serve the Lord. In Galatians 5, for example, it says, we've been given liberty as believers, only don't use this liberty as an occasion for the flesh. In other words, just to do what we want. But in fear of God, serve one another. Even after the first and great commandment, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So part of serving God is serving our neighbor. But the third is the most interesting and the one that I think we might forget too often the third call on every life of every believer is to become like the Lord. Romans 8, 28 says, God works all things together for good to those he loves, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, the next verse is quite intriguing and challenging because it says this, For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, let me break that down for you, how it relates to you and me. It's as simple as this and as great as this. God has decided ahead of time that you are going to be like Jesus. God has predetermined that believers are going to be like Jesus. The only question for us is not how did all that happen. It is am I cooperating with the Lord or am I fighting against him? Am I allowing him to make, remake me in the image of Christ or am I not? You see, when Jesus came on the scene, what did he say to the early disciples? He said, follow me. That means he's going where he's going. He knows where he's going, and we are to follow him. He even said, I'll make you fishers of men. In, re in relating to this, our Spanish brethren have a phrase that they say. They say, vaya con Dios. It means go with God. And I love that phrase because that is the idea of the Christian life. We're going where God goes. We're going where God is. We're working where God works. And in all that, he is making us like Christ. So every believer's call is clear. But also there's every believer's commitment. Every believer's commitment. In chapter 13, verse 7 that I read, when, when the angel mentions the Nazarite vow, it says here that he'll be a Nazarite to God or unto God. You know, that, that is the key thing. 
that is unto the Lord to have a constant walk of worship. Now, this Nazarite vow is an interesting thing. You can find the basis of it in Numbers chapter uh, 6, there in the early part of the uh, Old Testament. And usually it was seasonal. Usually it was temporary. But in Samson's case, it was to be for his entire life. There's three basic aspects of it. Uh, One is that a person under a Nazarite vow, they were to drink no wine or even grape juice or any products of the grapes. Now, as I looked at these, these three things, the second one is no touching of the dead, the third one is no cutting of the hair. As I, as I looked at these three things, I thought, what application could we have from these things, whether literal or, 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 or spiritual? And uh, one of the things from the first one is to not, to not love the world, develop a taste for the world, develop uh, a culture in our heart that is prone to love the world. The Bible says do not love the world. It doesn't mean love the people of the world, but the ways of the world, the things of the world. The lust that lost people have, that's not to be the guiding thing in our life. The misplaced passion, the people that don't know the Lord, that, that's not to be part of our life. Uh, and, and we don't want to ignore the obvious thing here. Proverbs 20 verse 1 kind of screams a, a warning at us. Uh, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. But what about this touching of the dead? God wanted this Nazarite person to have a life of purity and holiness, and certainly we have in Scripture those commands for us. But then the, the person with a Nazarite vow was to never cut their hair. Now, that's interesting. Why did God want that? God wanted something on the outside that showed the commitment, that showed the surrender, that showed the call. We have baptism for that, certainly. Uh, that's an outward thing of what God's done in our heart. But, but God wants us to be distinctive. And he wants his truth and our commitment to be on display. And he wants us not to be ashamed of the gospel, the outer things. So while some folks sometimes get wrapped up in what the individual particular things might or might not be, the point here is why do we do what we do? Is what I do, is how I live, is it unto the Lord? For Samson, let me make this statement and we'll we'll break it down as we go. For Samson, when the signs were in his life, the signs of his vow, when the signs were there, so was his strength. Now let, let me ask you a question this morning. What are the signs of your following the Lord, of your trusting the Lord, of you believing in the Lord Jesus? What are the signs in your life that show that you love Jesus, that you serve Jesus, and that you are becoming like Jesus? I might suggest these. Faithful worship attendance, tithes and offerings, learning to live out sound doctrine, being in a small group, daily quiet time, witnessing, purity, humility. I want to tell you this. If those signs are in your life, the strength to do God's will will be in your life as well. And it'll become even very natural. Now, secondly, I want to talk about a servant's capability. A servant's capability. You see, the will of God, whether ordinary or like just doing right at work, or extraordinary, like these feats feats of strength that Samson performed, the will of God is anything the Holy Spirit can and will do in your life. In Philippians 2.13, I believe it's one of the best descriptions of what grace is in the life of a believer that I I know of. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. 
Now, the Holy Spirit, and Brother Tim already referenced this in one of his comments a moment ago, the Holy Spirit literally comes inside to take up residence in every believer. Whether you realize this or not, the moment you were saved, when you repented of your sin, when you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, His deity, invaded your humanity. The Holy Spirit permanently resides in your life. He's just not there as a feel-good or a warm and fuzzy. He is there to live His life in and through you. And the Bible says it's God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. That means He gives you the desire and the power to do His will. He gives you the appetite and the ability to do His will. He gives you the urging and the enablement to do His will. Now, I want you to remember the context of all this today as we look in the Scriptures closely. They're at war. The Israelites, God's chosen people, have been captured by the Philistines. But God showed up and God showed off through His servant Samson to deliver His people. Now, what I want to do next is just to kind of run through a kind of a top 10 highlight list of, uh, of the things that God did through, through Samson. Now, the, the, some people might wonder, what, what did Samson look like? I mean, did he, have, did he have arms like coconuts and legs like tree trunks, or did he look like geeks or us? I, I, we don't know. We don't know. What we know is this, is when God's Spirit came upon him, for the special touch for the specific task, it was extraordinary. It was, it was supernatural. Samson was born supernaturally to a woman who was barren, who could not have children. And uh, when he was a young adult, he sought a foreign wife. And even though that was not acceptable, God decided to use it. In the traveling back and forth to uh, have the wedding, a lion came against him. And the Bible says that he, that, he, that he killed the lion, that he took the lion apart as if it were a small animal. Now later, sometime later, in the lion's carcass, some honeybees built a hive in, in, inside the lion carcass. And Samson came across that. And he reached in, touching the dead, which he was not supposed to do. And he, uh, and he took some honey out. Then he got an idea, and he went to the wedding, and he made a riddle, sure that they could not solve the riddle. And he made a bet about the riddle. He gambled, and he wasn't to do that as well. And so, and, and so he got in all this trouble, and he lost the bet because they, they, they found a way to figure out from his wife what the bet was about. And uh, so he lost the bet, and the bet was that the loser had to give 30 suits of clothes to the winner. So he went out. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, even in all this. And he killed 30 men single-handedly, but he violated his vow when he took the clothes and delivered them, touched the bodies and delivered them to those who had him there. Yet God continued to use him. Now, please be careful not to conclude from this that, uh, hey, because this would be what the devil would want you to conclude from Samson. Satan wants to say, hey, you can just sin all you want. God will still use you. No, our ultimate deliverer and our ultimate dynamic is Jesus, who did say in his greatest sermon... In Matthew 5, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I want to just make a comment on something that happened several times. In chapter 14, verse 19, when he was going up against these 30 men, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily when he went down to Ashkelon. Now, some translations say the Spirit of the Lord took control. Some say the, the, the Spirit of the Lord filled him. But the literal picture here 
is that the Spirit of God rushed upon him, almost as if water was being let out of a faucet or an earthquake just suddenly coming coming upon you. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Not at all unlike when our founding fathers of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 2, when it says the Holy Spirit came upon them like a rushing mighty wind. Now in this context of the wedding, he left, of, he left in anger, and while he was gone, get this, his father-in-law gave his wife to the best man, and she married him. Now, I don't believe he ever got over that. That would be somewhat understandable. But in, in, the, in the follow-up to that, Samson did another extraordinary thing. He captured 300 foxes and tied their tails with this uh, torch between them and turned them loose in the crops of the Philistines and burnt down their crops. He answered this complaint when they got upset and they murdered his wife, his former wife, and he answered this, the Bible says, with a great slaughter. His own people became afraid at that point. They came to Samson, who was their hero, and, and he said, we want you to surrender. We're tired of all this. And so he agreed to surrender, and they, the Bible says they tied him up with two new ropes. Uh, maybe one, one rope was good for an ordinary guy, so they did two for Samson. It certainly wasn't enough to hold him. But the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and in one of the most uh, well-known events in the entire Bible, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. He grabbed uh, the, dog, the jawbone of a donkey, and with uh, only the jawbone of a donkey, he killed 1,000 of the enemy troops single-handedly. Now, you might say, well, why didn't they jump in there to help him and kill the rest of them? Why didn't they, why didn't they attack? Well, the, Israel had, at that time had too much of one thing, not enough of another. They had too much fear, and they didn't have any weapons. And a lot of Bible scholars believe that where they began to gather a store of weapons was after he killed the thousand. They took their weapons and began to form up an army themselves. But something interesting happened after this great, after this great victory. He was thirsty. If you look at Hebrews chapter, or, excuse me, uh, Judges chapter 15, verse 18 and 19, I want to read to you and give you a very special word you might want to underline in your scriptures or make a, make a note to the side about this. And so it was. Excuse me, verse 18. Then he came, became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Now, I think all of us can understand this prayer. You've been here before. God did something really big. And then afterwards, there was this little need that you needed. You think, hey, God, you did that. Can't you do this? That's what he's saying. God, you, you helped me with this great victory, and now you're going to leave me here to die of thirst? God's always testing us that we call on him. Here's what God did. God answered. Verse 19, so God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, which means the, the jawbone place, and water came out, and he drank and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, he called its name in Hakore, which is in Levi, unto this day. Now, in Hakore literally means the spring of the, of the call. The spring of the call. Now, on the surface, it would, it, it would and should mean Samson called, he was thirsty, he called, and there came a spring. That, that's the obvious part. But the fact that this comes up in the Bible and the fact that God inspired the whole Bible, we connect it to the rest of the Bible in something much bigger and much more important. You see, the Bible says this, faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Now, I, I want to give you a great assurance today. Anything that God calls you to do, he can and will do through you. 
He will equip you. It's God that works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Jesus expanded it this way. Jesus was at a feast. It's told about in John chapter 7. And the Bible says that Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice. This is one time Jesus got really loud. And he said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He who believes in me, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And I want to tell you today, whatever it is that God's called you to do, however it is that God's called you to be, including becoming more and more like Christ, there is a river of living water flowing in and through you, through the Spirit of the living God, where that can be accomplished. Yet, once again, Samson headed down the road to sin. It took him to the town of Gaza, which is kind of where the story winds up. Gaza is still in existence today. And when Samson realized that he'd sinned and needed to get out of here, and by the way, you know one of the ways to deal with temptation? It's not even really hyper-spiritual. You know what it is? Shoe leather on a sidewalk. Just get out of there. Just go the other way. Go somewhere else. Move out. When Samson realized, I don't need to be here, he came outside and they had, they had, locked, they had closed him in. And there were these giant gates. And so that wasn't a particular obstacle to Samson. Now the gates, you understand, in an ancient city, the gates were where people meet to gather and talk. The gates represented the power of the city, the protection of the city, the wisdom of the city. It wasn't just a place to go in and out, although it was that. The Bible says that Samson ripped the gates out of the wall and the doorpost and carried them up to the top of Mount Hebron. They weren't going to be able to control him at that time. Lastly, Samson was captured and tortured after being tricked and nagged by Delilah and went into the temple and pushed the columns in and the temple fell on all of them. Now you say, man, that's some highlights. They ought to make a movie. They have. And I want to show it to you, part of it to you right now, to get a visual of what we're talking about with the life of Samson. Samson chosen by the living God to be his hand of vengeance. It's his will, but it is not mine. Who is this God who gives you such strength? Three vows were bestowed upon me. No wine, no touching the dead, no cutting of my hair. There are whispers of a Hebrew with great strength. It is a story for slaves, nothing more. I want you to investigate this. You find me the secret of his power. My Delilah. What if you wanted to fight? You should have brought more men. I want him dead. the strength of a god. I saw it with my own eyes. He is not a god! Samson, the Philistines are upon you. My strength is now your strength. No! What you have beaten. My name is Samson. My strength is now your strength. My eyes, yours. You have called me from birth, and now I listen. What would you have me do? 
in the scene where the king of God, uh, the Philistines said he's not a god, what the movie scriptwriters worked into that was very interesting, most intriguing line in the whole story to me. When, he, when their son said he's a god, he said, did he bleed? And he said, yes, and he said, then he's not a god. But our god did bleed. Our god did bleed and shed his blood for our sin. Now, let me, let me, let me shift to you and me. Where... Where does the strength of God show up in your life? Where does the Spirit of God fill you? And I'm not just talking about behavior modification, doing what you ought to do because you ought to do it. I mean, you sense that God empowers you. Do you sense that he can make you kind to those who have nothing to offer? Doing right when no one's around? Witnessing when you're going to be rejected? Tithing when you're underfunded, resisting temptation when it is difficult. He will do all that and more through you and me if we've been born again. If we've been born again. If we've been born again. I'm not talking about you're a church member. I'm not talking about you're religious. I'm not talking about you do all kinds of studies or activities. I'm talking about the Spirit of God has come into your life. Then you can expect from God that His Spirit will live through His life through you to do what He intends to do. Now, the next thing I want to point out to us from Samson, we have to, is the servants collapse. The servants collapse. Now, sadly, you could say that Samson hacked his own life. Perhaps if it was today, he would uh, believe the, everything he put himself on Facebook, believing himself to be better than he really is. With four separate attempts, his lover Delilah kept badgering him to tell what is the secret of your strength. And with the fourth attempt, she finally succeeded. She wanted to rat him out to the Philistines because she was caught in a political. She loved Samson, but she thought the Philistines ultimately were going to win, and, and she, had, she had grown up with them, so she was in a, in a tough spot. But he finally told her the last unbroken part of his vow about his hair. She gave him a haircut in the devil's barbershop, 
And the sad, one of the saddest verses in the Bible comes forth from this. If you look at Judges chapter 16 and verse 20. Judges chapter 16 and verse 20. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. Now, this has happened three times before. Now, watch this. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before, as at other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Now, this, this shake himself. Um, you, you could picture him going out and just flexing his muscles. But the word there in the Hebrew is quite, quite interesting. Na'ar. It comes from a, a word that originally, listen, that meant to, to yell or to growl or to roar. And it would have been most, guess when that word would have been most commonly used? If a lion came out and roared and shook his mane to let you know he's the boss. And this is the word God put in his word for what Samson did the fourth time when Delilah said, the Philistines are upon you. So I'm going to go out and shake myself like I did before. So he went out and he flexed his muscles. Maybe he growled. Maybe he went to shake his hair around. And it was gone. It had been cut. Now when it says here, in verse 20, this sad, sad, sad verse, he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Now this is not, of course, a reference to his personal salvation. Anybody, anytime, anywhere, Old or New Testament is secure in Christ if they believed and repented of their sin and allowed God to save them. But it has the reference to do with the Spirit of God coming upon him and his special call and helping him to fulfill his destiny, equipping him supernaturally for power. He went out and just said, I'm just going to do just like what I've done before and didn't know that the Lord had pulled his hand off of him. Y'all, this is a reality. I've seen it in individuals. Matter of fact, sometimes I can tell it in a preacher. He's up preaching and he's doing just what he's done before, but the touch of the Lord is not upon him. I've seen it in churches where they will go through the motions they will even make up more motions, and they will shake themselves and not realize the Lord's departed from them. I've seen it in entire denominations. It's a reality. Because you see, for Samson and for us, as the signs of his commitment disappeared, so did his strength. Now, lastly, I want to talk about a servant's comeback. And there indeed is one here. It's bittersweet for sure. But I want to tell you something today, friend. God wants you to finish well. You might be one of these people who can look back to a time. I hope you can. You can look back to a time where you had a clear conversion experience. You believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know he came into your life. You began to walk with him, and you rejoice in that. That's, that's a reality to you. But somehow or another, you've begun to walk at a guilty distance. You've begun to let the world creep into your life. You've begun to live like the world and lust like the world and laugh like the world. And it's cost you. Now, I want to tell you, first of all, the truth of second chances. The truth of second chances. Look at verse 21. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. Now, y'all, I have to tell you, it's graphic. It literally says they bored out his eyes. It's a wonder. It's a mercy of God he didn't become brain damaged. Knowing there's nothing behind your eye socket to protect it there. But they, they blinded him. And they brought him down to the Gaza, and they bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. Now, here's the truth of second chances. Listen to me. Hallelujah for second chances. Thank God for second, third, and fourth, and fifth chances, even in a day. Peter said to Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother seven times? 
And Jesus said, no, 70 times 7. The perfect number of times. Time the perfect number of times. Times 10. And thank God for all the chances. But here's the, a reality I want you to understand. The fact that we need a second chance means that our behavior has likely already cost us something. It's not always the same. Even when they rebuilt the temple the third time, it was glorious but diminished in size. You say, well, pastor, what about forgiveness? Yes, God's forgiveness. Thank God for it. Listen to this statement. God's forgiveness delivers us from the guilt of sin. His justification delivers us into a place of righteousness, permanent place of righteousness. But the consequences of our sin often remain. And often in God's goodness, he leaves the consequences there so that we learn a life lesson and be less likely to repeat the same mistake again. But here's what some people want to do with with Christianity. You know what they want to do? They want to come to God and they want to ask God, would you take away the consequences? Would you clean up the mess I made? And they don't at the same time seek a right relationship with God. They want the consequences cleared up, but they don't want the righteousness of God to remain in their life. They just want a little help along the way. That's not how you approach God. The consequences may be one of the best things you've got going for you because it may help you to repeat the same thing. So that's some truth about second chances, but also the triumph of second chances. Look in verse 22 of chapter 16. One of the great, most encouraging verses in the Bible. Just two verses after the sad one. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Oh, that's so hopeful. Let me ask you today, are you praying and waiting on God and working with God and walking with God that the signs of your faith will grow back, will grow again, so that you can walk with God as he intends for you to? Now, I want you to see, as we conclude, a great story of bravery and valor that there's a lot of lessons to learn. Look at verse 25. I want to just read how the story goes here. And so it happened. When their hearts were merry, literally, literally means they were drunk, the Philistines, that they said, call for Samson, that he may perform for us. Now, we're going to make fun of him. He's going to be our evening entertainment. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching Samson perform. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, Lord God, oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. Oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, I want to stop there just to make a point. I wish what I'm telling you now I had learned earlier as a Christian. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand if you or someone that, you know, that knows you considers you to be a perfectionist. First, let me say this. Jesus was perfect, but he wasn't a perfectionist. Otherwise, he'd never have anything to do with us. Amen? But this verse tells me something very important. Neither we nor God have to wait until our motives are perfected to call on God for help. 
Now, now that is important. Because a lot of times people don't want to become a Christian because they think they got to perfect themselves. A lot of times people say, oh, I can't ask the Lord for that because I'm not sincere enough. I'm not this or I'm not that. There was no problem here because he was moving back into the will of the Lord and God still wanted to use him. Now let's read on. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and he braced himself against them, one on his right hand, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, this was his last prayer, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead, this is incredible, so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he killed in his life. Samson got back in to the will of the Lord. Yeah, it cost him, but he got back into the will of the Lord. When the signs are gone, the strength is gone. But praise God, hear me now, they can grow back. They can grow back. Samson, a deliverer that certainly foreshadowed the ultimate deliverance of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross to pay the penalty for all our sins and rose from the dead that he might justify us. And he will not let you go. He will not turn you away. He will not leave you or forsake you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me, if you would, please. Three, three groups of people I want to address. The first two could overlap. But I wonder if you're today sitting here, what you've been thinking about is this. God has a call on my life, and I'm running from it. I'm reluctant. God has a specific call on my life to serve him. And you may even know what it is, or you may not but you've been running from it. I want to tell you, I want you to run to it today. I want you to embrace that call fully to serve the Lord Jesus and to become like him. Now, secondly, there's some of you, you're in a guilty place. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and you are correct when you say, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus. I am a follower. Listen to me now, but you failed and you've sinned, and the signs are gone and the strength is gone. And you need to repent and ask God to grow the signs of, signs of that. Let it grow back so you can be restored. Today, you should say, yes, Lord Jesus, and come, come to this altar, come to the front to talk to one of the pastors, but, but don't waste this moment. And then thirdly, hear me now, be honest. The reason, the reason you have so consistently failed is because you have never really been born again. You've never really been born again. You've acted religious, you've walked an aisle, you've prayed a prayer, you've been baptized, you've hung out with other Christians, but you have never been born again. Settle that today. Say yes, Lord Jesus, today. You see, do you know what real worship is? It's saying yes, Lord. If you want to leave here today knowing that you've worshipped, say yes, Lord. So I'll ask you this, at what point do you need to say yes, Lord, today? Father, oh, Father, would you strengthen us even now that we might say, yes, Lord, yes, and leave this place knowing that the signs of our faith are growing again and that the strength of our faith through you is growing again or that we have entered into faith once and for all, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.
stand, be prepared to sing with the band, pray, worship, but come down here to where the pastors are, come to the altar, and find that place of saying, yes, Lord, yes. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall. That call on your life. You're the one. Come say yes. That guides my the strength is gone because the signs are gone. Come say yes, Lord. I want it back. I want them, I want them back. I want you back. Empowering my life for your salvation. Come and say yes to Jesus. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, step out and come. Coming down this aisle won't save you, but Jesus will save you. Your grace is more, your grace is found, is where you your heads as the music continues do you need to join this church is your yes to Jesus to join this church come on and present yourself have you been baptized to show outwardly what God's done inwardly by saving you come come say I need to be baptized we'll arrange that don't go away without Jesus if you need to be saved come you're walking at a guilty distance come back we're just gonna wait before the Lord but whatever you do find that place of saying yes to Jesus